0: Welcome back to this Builder Funnel Radio original mini-series Sales Mastery for Remodelers and Custom Builders with Brian Kaplan. Brian is a construction business coach who's changing the perspective of remodelers and builders like you from blue collar help to professional business owners. In this episode, we are going to get a lot more tactical. Brian walks us through a detailed initial phase of the sales process step-by-step and tells you the questions to ask and how to prepare for each meeting. Get ready to take some notes. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to episode four of Sales Mastery for Remodelers and Custom Builders. I'm joined once again by Brian Kaplan. Brian, how's it going today? Doing very well, Spencer. Good, good. I don't know if I'm most excited for this episode, but probably because we get into a little more of the tactical stuff, which I think anytime you're diving into a topic, we talked about the foundational pieces. It's super important to get those nailed down. And then, if you're like me, you like to kind of race to the tactics and you have to force yourself to talk to think about the strategy first. But now we're there. we're to we're to the tactics. So I guess as we open up this big can of worms in terms of the sales process, where should we start?
1: yeah, and and I'm also very excited because this is that, as you said, like we get to some tactical elements here you know it's kind of a bit of strategy also is how we actually going to put this in place and you know right off the top what i always ask people is can you walk me through the process of taking somebody that you just meet into a paying client how do you get somebody to actually retain you as a remodeler as a renovator as a custom home builder you know this pain well and i know your pain well because i lived it for 20 plus years you get a lot of leads you get a lot of people coming to you you know, we have to try and obviously recognize where they are in their buying journey. But the reality is you can't just go running around like a headless chicken and meeting everybody and everybody kind of thing because you know ultimately, you're going to you only get a few of those people that are actually going to become clients. And so this is what it means to have a process. This is what it means to have this strategy around how do I actually take that lead qualify that person and move them through what we call like our sales pipeline. So, I'm super excited as well to to kind of dig into this today.
0: Yeah, so let's let's start at the beginning cuz I think, you know, especially right now a lot of remodeling companies, builders, specialty trades like everyone is getting flooded with leads and so I feel like the first couple of moves, first couple of steps are even more critical when you're getting flooded, you know, because you have to prioritize and you have to really know what your process looks like. So, I guess what what's step 1, let's start there. Yeah, for sure and
1: and first and foremost from a big picture, you know, the idea of having this process is, you know, so critical for exactly what you just mentioned. When you get flooded, you know, when you only have like a couple leads or you're working on one project and there's one or two people in your pipeline, it's super manageable. You know, you can kind of make it up as you go along, but the reality is when you get this flood of people coming to you and you have a lot of projects, you know, you cannot be reinventing the wheel every single time. You know, winging it is just not an option and the big challenge is that you know people will be able to smell it, you know, uncertainty a mile away. People are not stupid, and they can recognize when you sound rushed and you sound busy and you don't sound organized, even when they're just meeting you. And so, it's so so critical that we absolutely have this process in place. So, so where does it start? It starts with this initial contact. Someone's going to either fill out a web form, maybe they're going to message us on a social media platform because they saw some pictures of finished projects. Maybe it's a referral. Maybe they've done a Google search and they've emailed you and made sort of a direct, you know, kind of cold outreach. And so that's really the first sort of place that it starts. So there's some questions that I always ask the building clients that I work with is, what is the experience like for that other person? So remember, we talked about this right at the beginning of this mini series is that we always have to be looking at that client filter. We always have to be looking through their eyes and just making sure that we're connecting to... You know Any of our marketing message, our sales process, the experience of interacting with our brand, it's so critical that we look at it through their lens so that we can answer that fun question, which is, what's in it for me? Right? Because mm-hmm. that's all anyone's ever thinking is, what's in it for me? So if we position all of our marketing about us, then of course, we're not really answering that question. So it's really important as we get into some tactic here about our sales process and the individual steps here. Is always to remember that that's the lens that we're looking through. So when I actually go to your website, is it easy for me to find that contact information? Is it easy for me to find, or is it very clear for me that you want me to fill out a questionnaire or survey that, you know, that kind of method of getting in touch? Do you have contacts all over the place? Is it disorganized? Is it erratic? You really want to kind of tailor. You know, I'm speaking to a digital marketing agency owner here. So, you know, this very well. We want to funnel people into the correct path that we want them to take. And so, this is so critical at the beginning of the journey where you sort of lay out all the different channels that people can kind of reach you at. And what is that first touch, right? What is that first thing that happens when they start to interact with your brand?
0: Yeah. And so, let's talk about the website a little bit, just because today that is kind of one of those first initial touch points for for a lot of people. Do you recommend that people try to funnel into one initial contact point? Because a lot of times you see maybe a phone number, you see a contact us form, then maybe there's a schedule, a consultation, which could be very similar to the contact us, you know? And so I guess, do you have recommendations around that? Or does it matter if you have multiple touch points, as long as you know, these are all step one? Yeah. No, it's a great question. And, you know, the truth is, I don't think there's a
1: right or wrong answer here. I think everyone's going to have a bit of a different opinion and it's probably going to be regionally specific too. My guess is behavior having, you know, working with people across the United States and in Canada, buying patterns are similar, but also different in different regions. So I think it's going to vary. Ultimately, I think it's you want to get clear with how you want to basically interact with that. And some of that is going to be about the business structure that you have if you are a solopreneur and you basically have maybe crews in the field or you know that are subcontracted out and you're just running around from project to project if you have your phone number your cell phone number on the website and someone calls you in the middle of a busy day And you answer the phone, sounding like you're in the middle of a busy day, you're not setting that great first impression. So then that might guide how you actually steer people from your website. You might want them to go and actually have a, you know, maybe that call to action button that's in our upper right hand corner of our website is more schedule, maybe an initial meet and greet. Maybe then inside of that, you have the kind of next step of the qualification, which is like answer these three, you know, we always have these like five questions we ask people. So figure out what those questions are. You're really just trying to get a barometer check on who this person is. Timeline, you know, you can ask the budget question, but as I always talk about asking somebody the budget question when they're completely cold traffic is like stopping somebody on the street and asking them to open up their web browser and show us their online banking and how much money they have in their bank account. There's no difference here and you're never going to get the right answer so for me I've always found it a bit of a useless question personally. I digress. But um, <laughs> you know basically you could kind of have that entry point as book the call and then there could be like maybe this little survey or questionnaire behind it which then you know gets registered and when you're not running around in the middle of a crazy busy day you can actually read this and then respond appropriately. So I think you know there's going to be a lot of different I think lenses on this, and I really don't think there's a right or wrong, but you want to be clear with... And and look, the reality is, as a business owner, you're very busy step back for a second and make this work for you. Don't always think about what's going to work completely for the client in this scenario. I know it contradicts what I opened this podcast with today, but part of managing your time effectively and being a really great business owner is being able to basically guard that time, you know, very fiercely. And some of these things are what we're talking about right from a time management perspective is put people towards a channel when they're first meeting you, because they as you said, people get flooded with these. It could be ten, you could be getting, you know, 10 to 50 leads on average a week. I don't know. Like, you know, I see it a, a range across the country. And you just can't keep up with that volume. You can't be answering the phone every two seconds and things like that. So there's definitely tools like that. Of course there's there's other things that are like, you know, Ruby Reception this is a great example that is like an answering service that Basically, gets trained in you know what your brand is about and helps to basically facilitate that intake process of that lead. Uh, so there's that option as well, which then gives you know some different ways that they can get in touch with you, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you have to kind of take all of what I said, think about your own time, your own patterns. When do you feel like it's reasonable for you to get back to people? You know, what kind of channels do you typically use, kind of thing, and then kind of mesh it all into maybe... And I think simpler is better, personally speaking. If you're going to have a form on your website, I probably wouldn't have your email also, just because people might just actually email you instead of filling out the form. So it kind of dilutes the power of either one. But I think, yeah, just trying to keep it as simple as you can.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's good advice. And I, you're probably right. In terms of not being a right or wrong answer here, I find that just you know thinking about my own experience, you kind of go through this progression of, hey, at the beginning, you like you said, you take all the meetings you, because there's not that much activity going on. But if you start to build up some lead gen and a pipeline, you're going, gosh, this is getting overwhelming. So then you start to put some things in place. And I think the sooner you can put these things in place, the better, even at that stage where you probably could go on every opportunity. The question is, should you? And we'll kind of get, we'll get to pre-qualification here in a second. But I like the, if you can get to it, making it a little more exclusive. And so putting a few more barriers in place for people that come to the site. So whether it's a few more questions on that initial contact form or saying, hey, you can book a meeting, but you can't just like call in and talk to me for 30 minutes about your project at at a whim, you know, (laughs) because you've already planned your day. Like if sales calls are coming in, Create a process for that. Hey, it's an automated w- automated way to book a meeting or something like that. So. Exactly,
1: because because you want to get people. You know, you just always want to think about what's their first touch, what's that first interaction they have with your brand, and if you are, you know, you just hang up a call and then someone calls you and you're you're rushed and all of that. Like I mean, you're just setting this awful first impression, and I just think it's you've got to be really brutally honest with yourself here and say. You know, how can I put this into a channel that actually works within the time constraints that I want to set?
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think um, one move that we made to kind of like take that a step further, I think we did this maybe about 18 months ago or a little longer, but instead of, you know, contact us being the primary call to action, we said apply to work with us. And yeah. I think that may or may not make sense for everybody listening, but that adds another barrier of kind of exclusivity. It also represents that, Hey, like not everyone, not every project is, you know, a good fit for us. And so it just frames that initial call, I think in in a positive way, but Again, you can kind of adjust these levers, make it easier or harder to contact you depending on if you need more inquiries or less inquiries and you're trying to ratchet up or down quality. But uh, let's say somebody kind of simplifies this process, they have a schedule a consultation button, they start getting inquiries. Like what does that that next step look like when we start to actually like talk to these people and, and figure out if it's a good fit? Yeah.
1: So first and foremost, again, we want to always use the mirror here. And what does that mean? That means that we've got to be brutally honest about the lead that comes in and decide if it's something that is within our wheelhouse, something that we're interested in. And quite honestly, something that our company is actually structured for. I can't tell you the number of times I hear from bigger builders when they, they talk about smaller projects that they slot in, in the in between, you know, their bigger projects type of thing. And the reality is, is that they're charging. Oftentimes, they're charging the same margin on those projects. And basically, what that equates to is them losing money and leaving money on the table. You can actually stay home and go broke, is kind of <laughs> as the expression goes. And you know, you know, it's just being really brutally honest and saying, is that the type of work that I want to do? Some of my coaching clients need to hear this from me, where they we're we're talking about a specific project, and it's a small project. It's something that they don't actually want. It's not the goal of where they're trying to get to. And I just kind of reflect on them and I say, hey, if this isn't the type of project you want, then why are you even entertaining it kind of thing? And I use that line, stay home and go broke. <laughs> and it kind of resonates and, and you start to understand that. So I think when when people first come in, you've got it's got to kind of pass through your own filter first and say like, look... The language that someone's using can often tell you a lot about how the relationship is going to go and who they are. And I'm not saying to judge a book by its cover and only by the words that they submit on like an email or, or a form, but oftentimes it gives you insights into who this person is. I think to speak to your point about the apply to work with us, one strategy that some of my builders use is they actually put in their social profiles and also even on their website when they're booking the next projects for like they're entering mm. projects into design for, you know, so right now, you know, we're in the fall and they might say we're booking new project starts for spring of whatever year kind of thing. And that I actually, like that. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of like one of these things we always talk about friction, right? And sometimes friction isn't, it's not just because we're, we're tightening the noose a little bit on who we're going to let through the gauntlet. The reality is, As you said, people want to feel like exclusive. So it's counterintuitive, but it can really work for you if you actually set some of these parameters because it gives this sort of esteem to your brand and people are like, Hey, I want to be part of that pack of winners. So, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I can wait till spring kind of thing. You'll actually start to change someone's thought pattern when you do these little sort of touches.
0: Yeah. And on the flip side, it also starts to get rid of those people that want the project done yesterday and can't wait. And they're just going to rush you and they want to skip through your process and not not follow any of your rules. <laughs> so
1: 100%. Exactly. Yeah. It's about being, you know, we Spencer, you and I talk about this all the time, being intentional, right? And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of the idea here is that your sales process should be intentional. It should be a reflection of how you actually want your life to go. But let's be honest, in you know this remodeling space and custom home building world in you know smbs and smaller businesses like it's you know it's one and the same right your personal life is often driven by this business life and so it's really just about carving out you know your own time and carving out the path that you want you know we talk so much about client experience and it's super important don't get me wrong but bigger than that is you can't take care of somebody else unless you're taking care of yourself first so i yes, think carving that, that out is is really really important Yeah.
0: Yeah. I first uh, heard that concept. I think it was in uh, Scott Adams book. uh, What's it called? How to fail at everything and still win big or something like that. And uh, yeah, but he talks about that. He said, you know, like once you take care of yourself, then you're in the best position to help others. And so if you're running around ragged, you're not going to be much use to anybody, whether it's your team, your clients, your family. So yeah, I love that you Yeah,
1: just remember that. when you're on an airplane, right? You know, the oxygen masks mm-hmm. fall, hopefully they don't, and you're not going through that experience, but they always teach you put it on yourself before you help your children or somebody else beside you, right? And the idea is if you pass out, you're no good to anybody, right? So it's the same concept.
0: Yep. Yeah, love it. All right. So let's say we, uh, we get on a call here. <laughs> How do we start to figure out if you know, this person's a good fit and we want to advance them and what, you know, what should that call even look like? How long should it be? Those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm going to even back up before that call. I mean, assuming that we don't necessarily have the phone number on our website or the phone number that's there goes to maybe our receptionist or, you know, an administrative person or, or somebody like that. Really, there's kind of this, and when we talk about this going through your filter, there's like this research and qualification phase that first, it has to get past your filter first. And so what are we actually doing to to basically research this person? You know, I started in this business in 1999. We did not have the tools that we have today to basically go and learn as much as we want about somebody before we actually get on the phone with them. And, you know, so everybody listening to this right now, you're at a massive advantage. You're in a time, like a, a point in time. In the world where you have all of these opportunities to go and learn about somebody before you actually hop on a call, which also helps you to determine if this is, you know, can pass your filter is something that we actually really want to, to kind of entertain. And so I would say before we actually get to that call, you know, if it's that meet and greet button, you know, a virtual Zoom meet and greet button on our website, and there's that survey behind it, we're gonna know who that person is. We have their email, we can go social creep them <laughs> around the internet and go learn about them and, and see what they're into and who they are and all that sort of thing. There's going to be some cues in there that are going to help you figure out you know if this person should be booked on another call. And like we talked about with potentially putting booking projects for spring, again, like you said, if someone wants to go next week, which we we know there's a lot of people that fit that characteristic, and they're not going to respect our process, they're going to you know only add to the chaos in our life, there's an easy decision there, right? For you to make as a builder, um, we have to look past a little bit of the money and we have to be a little bit more logical. So remember, we talked about the, you know, gets psych- like psychological for a second, the amygdala, which is that emotion center of our brain the limbic system. And we talked about the the logic center, right? The neocortex kind of thing, in the prefrontal cortex. So this is where we have to actually lean on our cortex a little bit and just be like, you know, kind of look at the facts of the case as opposed to being excited by the lead and that little bit of endorphins and serotonin that kind of gets jumped into our body when we get that that initial lead. So, so I think first and foremost, research and qualification, right? We have to really make sure that they pass. If we're going to then book a call, so we'll take that step, we'll book that call. Lots of different ways that you can do this. Again, um, it can be done by email. You can have a schedule. I highly recommend everyone have a scheduling link, like have something like Calendly or I mean, there's tons of them out there, right? Just yeah. sign up for one of them. So many of them are free and you can use them you know, extensively for these kind of meet and greet appointments. Instead of going back and forth over email and trying to figure out a time, which is just a losing time proposition for everybody involved, yeah. um, just make it simple for someone to book a time with you. That's, that's the first thing. But then it's not about setting and forgetting. Now, what are you going to do to actually prepare for this call? And this is where we talk about, you know, not you know, reinventing the wheel every single time. Having a process. So, a lot of the things I I just mentioned, like going and looking at them, their profiles online, learning more about them, rereading their contact form or like what they've submitted to you in terms of information, go and Google map the property, go and like zoom up satellite wide and then, you know, dig into the street level view, spin around, go up and down the street kind of thing, see what you can learn. Oftentimes, you know, I'm in Toronto and we have very tight lot lines here and we get a lot of inquiries with people looking to do substantial size additions to their home, and a lot of it doesn't pass our general zoning rules. And so we all constantly need these variances, which immediately changes when someone says, I want to start in the next two or three months, it immediately changes it to a six to eight month lead time. So that's an example of where if I didn't do any research, I didn't bother to go look at the house or really kind of like think about what they've actually submitted to me and put it through the logic filter, I'm wasting my time on that call because they might, their response might be, well, no, we want to do it sooner, but thanks very much. And that immediately tells you that they're probably not the ideal client for you because they're not probably going to listen to anything that you have to say. So I think the research and qualification is, is so important. I mean, I always go to sports. You always think of Michael Jordan and the late, great Kobe Bryant. I mean, these guys, what did they do? What was the key to their success? It was practice and it was all the preparation that they put in to the craft of their game. And neither one of them would have been as fantastic as they were in the sport if they hadn't put in the consistent kind of preparation and dedication to that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. I mean, there's so much you can pull today when you get a form submission coming through and you grab a name and an email and you just go do some initial research. And then it allows you to find a couple of connection points in that first meeting, you know, pretty easily. If you can go to their LinkedIn and you find out what college they went to or where they've worked or you know whatever it may be, interests, hobbies, those types of things. So I like that totally. that recommendation. So once you get into the the first meeting, I, I well, I guess before we get there, is there anything that you commonly see in that research phase that would prompt you to just immediately? disqualify somebody before you even try to connect with them to book the first you know connect meeting yeah
1: i mean i think there's a lot of different things i have seen over the years but you might recognize a personality type like they might be i don't know just throwing an example here they might be an engineer and this isn't to like slam on any engineers listen sure sure friends that we have that are engineers but just recognizing personality types you work well with and ones you don't necessarily work well with. You can sometimes see this by interest hobbies or what they do professionally speaking. You know, ultimately you're just going to gain a lot of different insights into that. I think for me, it's a lot of like the words, the phrases, and the, the language that people use, whether it's a voicemail or it's like a contact us form or a direct email. For me, I just kind of keep going back and reading those and dissecting those because oftentimes we say things without intentionally saying them, kind of thing. If you know what I mean. So, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, especially in this world where everyone's really fast paced and you know we're just trying to get to the end of this task as quickly as possible, oftentimes the truest stuff comes out because we're not—it's not going through our own filter. So, I think that's kind of a good place to go. And yeah, ultimately you know spend a lot of time getting good at kind of researching people and and just reading through their profiles even like one of the things that i kind of teach for my builders to to connect with architects is to go and look at the content that they post look at how they respond to comments on their own posts look at the words mm-hmm. the phrases how they think like you're really trying to get inside someone's mind because that's where connection happens right and so no different here if it's a prospective client that's pretty active on a social profile go and actually learn about them and look at how they speak and talk and all that sort of thing. It's going to tell you a lot about their personality before you actually get on the phone with them. Cool.
0: Yeah. Good advice. So once you've you've done all the research and like, okay, I'm, I think I'm prepared. I'm ready for the first meeting. How do you set the stage for that meeting? What kind of format is it? You know, what's, what's the purpose of that meeting? Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know,
1: fundamentally, it's about having a process and not basically reinventing the wheel every single time. So You always have to go into a meeting with an agenda. right? doesn't matter if it's a, a meeting between colleagues, a meeting with a potential client, a meeting with your designer or your architect. You should always go into every single meeting with an agenda with some clear objectives. I think, in my time, I've been called into thousands of meetings, probably thousands of those meetings I didn't need to be part of because it was usually just one person's agenda and there might be a handful of people there that don't really benefit from being in the room. So ultimately, you know, I just paint that picture because that really translates for any of the remodelers and custom builders listening to this from all the meetings that if you're in a bigger company that you need to get pulled into. But when it comes to a client, it's really critical that we have an agenda. So it's really an opportunity for you to, and this is how I always approached it and it might be different for, for other people. When I interviewed people for a job, so if we were hiring in a company, I would ask really random questions, and I think I've probably talked about this before with you, but I'd ask super random questions about people like what was the last three books they read? you know, where did they go on holiday last? I'm curious about the answers of those questions from like a logic standpoint, but I'm really really like what I'm really curious about is to watch someone's reaction. To questions that are outside the boundaries of what they're expecting, because it teaches me a little bit about who their personality is very, very quickly. And I take a similar approach with new clients, it's really trying to understand who they are first and foremost before I don't just get on the phone and say, Well, you know, when do you want to start? What's the job? And how much do you have to spend? You know, obviously these are outcomes or questions we want to have answered, but I can't just, you know, get to third base without, you know, hitting a single and a double first kind of thing. And so, I think for the first meeting, it's really, you know, my advice is keep it short. You know, it should be 15 to 20 minutes. You always want, when we talk about setting the stage, you know, some people talk about this a lot and I, and I agree with this premise of getting on the phone and at the right at the beginning, you basically frame the call to help them understand how much time it's going to be, what we're going to talk about, et cetera, et cetera. But there's an earlier step here that a lot of people miss, which is that is your touch point in between booking the call and the actual call. There should Mm -hmm. be a follow-up in the center of that, that basically helps them understand what the agenda is, how much time it's going to be. It's kind of like, you know, you can't get mad at your kids if they do something, but you haven't laid out the actual rule first. You say, well, you know, you shouldn't just do that. Well, they probably look at you and say, well, uh, no, I don't know that. (laughs) You never told me that kind of thing. So, you know, it's the same sort of thing here. We want to frame that expectation even before we get to that call. So it's not a surprise to them that the call is 15 to 20 minutes. Maybe they were thinking it was longer. Maybe they were thinking it was a five-minute call. And now you've caught them off guard. What you've done from a psychological standpoint, once again, logic, controlled kind of balanced emotion to like, whoa, throw me right out of whack, survival mode kind of thing. And that's the shift that happens. It's like a little light switch in someone's mind. So we want to frame that before we actually get to the call.
0: I like it. Yeah. So basically, we've done our research. We Set the meeting, but we're sending an email that says, "Here's the agenda. Here's what to expect in this meeting. It's 15 to 20 minutes. We want to learn more about you and your project, and we'll decide, you know, what the next you know course of action is from there." That sort of a thing.
1: Exactly. Uh, And then if you're doing virtual ones, feel free. I have for my own process, I have like a a little short kind of paragraph of three bullet points. That's just like make sure you're, you know, try this link before the time the scheduled time, make sure you've given Zoom. If you're using the Zoom platform, typically you have to give permission from your computer to access the camera and the microphone. So we don't waste the first five minutes trying to figure out how to get (laughs) our face up there and for them to be able to hear us. So it's again, as much as you can do to pre-frame anything that you're going to do with a client is is, is always going to give you the best result.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. So then you set the stage, you go into this meeting. Obviously, you're trying to figure out if hey, is this something worth pursuing? Do we want to dig in further? I guess, what are the big takeaways for people? What should they be trying to uncover in that call and in that 15 to 20 minute meeting?
1: Yeah, for sure. And I think like we said, it's all about getting to know somebody. You know, I think the statistic we talked about, I believe last time was like somewhere between three and seven seconds, four to seven seconds, somewhere in there people are going to make that judgment really really quickly right whether they think that they you know want to get to know you whether they like you and whether they feel like they're going to be able to trust you kind of thing like people can literally make that decision so so quickly and that's uh, there's a physiological thing that happens in our mind that is that actually has created that process so this is something that's inside every human and ultimately you just have to know that you've got these like 5 to 7 seconds to impress somebody and you don't have to be, <laughs> it's not like you have to have a, an incredible opening one-liner like David Letterman or Jay Leno would have had, but you know, or Johnny Carson. But you know, it's it's really just about making sure, especially if you're doing a video call, you know, always be camera ready, right? Don't be fumbling around, plugging in your microphone and ruffling around and and being distracted, looking off camera and speaking to somebody. You know, you really got to be dialed in and fully focused. If it's on a phone call, don't be driving. <laughs> You know, pull over if you have to do a phone call on the road, pull over, make sure you have your agenda in front of you, which is typically just kind of that format of those questions that you're going to kind of run through. So that's where scripts really help because they always bring you back to sort of zero. But ultimately, you know, big picture, you're trying to get to know somebody, you're trying to see if they're going to be someone that, you know, is going to want to take a step with you, but also that you want to actually take a step with.
0: Yeah. So I'm assuming in this stage, are you asking, I mean, you're asking those open-ended questions, you're trying to get to know them and get a read on them, but you're also asking questions about the project to see if it's even in line with what you want to do. I guess, what are, how do we get to the next stage? Like what makes us say yes? What makes us say no? Yeah, for sure. And I think
1: there's always this careful balance. We want to get to know people, you know, that's really the primary goal, but yeah, there's also some like black and white stuff that we want to, you know, kind of pull out of people, which is what is the project? And, you know, getting a rough idea on timeline is also really helpful. As I said a moment ago and I consistently say, I personally don't ask the budget question on that first call. I just I don't agree with that philosophy simply because you're never going to get the answer that you want. I think in the unicorn moments, and unicorns are like those once in a lifetime type of clients, or once in a very long time kind of clients. They might offer that information, or you might feel that the chemistry is working so well that you could ask them a simple question about, you know, I'm just curious, do you have an intended investment level? So everybody, rewind those three words, you know, intended investment level. That is how you speak about a budget with a client. You don't ask them what their budget is. You don't ask them how much money they have, uh, how much do they have to spend, et cetera, et cetera. It's always about intended investment level. Kind of like we talked about at the beginning of this, where we said they, you know, puts people into more of like an elite group kind of thing, builds a little bit of excitement around it. Same sort of thing here is that you're putting somebody into a different socioeconomic mind class when you do that. They're not looked at as a commodity or a transaction anymore. There's like, there's a, there's this relationship that you're basically forming. And so that's like a little subtlety, but so, so powerful in this call. So, how do we decide it's a, it's a go or a no go for us? Sometimes, you know, to be quite honest with you, you might be on the fence, right? And I've had lots of calls where I've talked to people. I feel like I can maybe convert this person, so to speak. Like maybe they're not speaking my language yet, but I feel like there's enough there that I can continue to develop this relationship and help them understand. And I think we have to give people the benefit of the doubt when we get on the call with them. If they have taken all the steps so far, because remember, we've added some friction in the process. We've Mm -hmm. created a call to action on our website or Instagram page or Facebook page, whatever it is. And we've gotten them to go through a couple steps so far. Obviously, the more we tighten that noose, right? Or that we add more friction to the process, the more likely they're a better candidate for us to work with. We also just have to understand that we're asking people to do something that's probably a little bit different with their own natural behavioral patterns would be. So we have to give people the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes that means that you are going to book a second call, whether it's maybe a virtual call or it's an in-person you know, meet and greet at their home. You, know, you do kind of sometimes have to, I guess, as I said, give the benefit of the doubt. But at the same time, pull that mirror out. Everybody by now should have a mirror in front of them. I should have probably said that right at the beginning. It's like, go get a mirror when you're listening to this mini series. Unless you're driving, please don't use the mirror. You can use your rear
0: view mirror, maybe. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Keep your eyes on the road,
1: people. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of get that mirror out again and just be brutally honest with yourself. Is this the type of project that I want? You know, is this the type of client that I really do? Like, were there some red flags? Are there some things that they're saying that are just kind of like, eh? you know, making me pause for thought kind of thing. So there is a careful balance here. Again, there's no right or wrong. The goal here is that you're trying to manage the most precious commodity that every human has, which is time. And you cannot be running around to go meet every single person that first calls you and that you first speak with. So this is that next kind of layer of, you know, I would say friction. And then you have to decide, are we going to actually meet next? In what's the most appropriate meeting? Should it be another phone call or a Zoom call? If we've done like our first as a phone call, should we do a zoom call next? And then I meet them in person, or is you know what what's that kind of next step? What makes sense for the process?
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So let's let's assume yes, we've made, you know, we've made it this far. We talked to somebody and we're going, yep, this is this is a go. What do those next steps look like? Either in recap, teeing up the next meeting, and then What's the goal of that next meeting? For sure. And here's what I'm going to say. Either way, so we're on the
1: call and say, we decide that we're going to go to the next call. We want to introduce the topic of what it's going to be. So we're going to say, I think a next a great next step for us would be that And sometimes there's a lot of different conversations that happen. Maybe a spouse wants to talk to their spouse, you know, or their partner about the conversation you just had, because maybe both of them haven't been on the phone call. Maybe there was a specific timing event in their life. They're like, "Look, I'm really busy for the next two or three weeks, but I wanted to just, you know, kind of reach out now and start the conversation." So you're going to have to kind of improvise based on what I'm going to say next. But you've got to know what kind of that next action is and introduce it at the end of that call. We always talk about the commitments, right? Micro commitments in the sales process. You always want. We want to create velocity and keep that and maintain that velocity through our pipeline. In other words, can we move this person all the way through that process? We've got to get these micro commitments, right? We should never leave that call with a, okay, that's great. Thanks so much. We'll be in touch. kind of thing. We'll be in touch means thanks so much. We'll never call you again, yeah. to be clear. <laughs> if you think that that means they're going to call you, think again. And it, maybe it happens, but it's very rare, as we all know, right? When, pe- when someone says, let me think about it, you know, we're blah 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 rarely without you persisting will that turn into something so so first and foremost we've got to kind of frame that expectation the next step there is no matter if we're talking about going and applying for a job or going and working with a prospective client it's the follow-up right the follow-up is so critical here it does not have to be the minute after you hang up with somebody but in a very Quick time frame. You know, if it's early in the day that you speak with somebody, by the end of that day, you should have a follow-up to them. It doesn't have to be elaborate. In fact, it should just be a template that's in your email settings, whether you use Outlook or Gmail. You can set up a template that's just thanks so much. It was great to connect with you this morning. This is what I feel our potential next step is, or what we discussed on the call, kind of thing. Here is my scheduling link or whatever it is, right? Like finding that next actual call to action and sending that out to them and making sure that you know we've actually followed through on what we've set.
0: Yep, and I think even just if you do those little things you mentioned it before that first call, sending the agenda and then doing the recap and the you know if you do those You're going to set yourself apart. I think that alone, you know, let alone actually what happens on the call, and obviously you want to you want to do a good job there too. But um, most people don't don't do those little things, and um, absolutely that gives that that customer that comfort, you know, and they're going into this a little bit blind, and so the more information you feed them, you show them the next step, they're going okay, I see the path, like I'm comfortable with that path. Let's keep going. And I know you talk a lot about confidence for yourself just having this process lined up i guess what do you think the power of that is just in in having a sales process and connected to your own confidence
1: yeah for sure and you know when we talk about confidence we you know what we're really talking about is the lack of rejection <laughs> it's mm, it's yeah. really if we boil it <laughs> down right rejection is that like so se- like self esteem and rejection very closely related of course but those emotions are like the most sacred of our survival tactics as humans right we just It's why salespeople will will hesitate to pick up the phone and call somebody, and they'll send an email. It's why your project manager, even though you're like, pick up the phone and call the client, they'll go and send an email, right? It's because we guard rejection fiercely, right? We also avoid confrontation at all costs as humans. And so, ultimately, confidence really is going to come from giving yourself the tools in place a framework to work from that you can just keep repeating so you don't have to kind of guess at the next step because when you guess at the next step you're guessing you're chipping away at the armor of your own self-esteem right because you start it's where the the mind goblins come in someone used that on like LinkedIn a friend of ours <laughs> and I was like oh that's a great term i always i always use the analogy of that water seeping through a foundation but Uh, mind goblins is a great one, That's a good one, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They start creeping in when you're like, what should the next step? Wait, does that make sense for this kind of thing? And that's where you start to get off track of your, you know, what should your process be? So that's why we always harp, have a process. And then we've got to follow through with that process. So that's what really helps build that confidence because you're not as likely to second guess those steps if you're keeping, like you keep the repetition going with it.
0: Yeah, and I think too, just anytime you know, for yourself, the steps, it does the same thing, you know, like we talked about for your end customer prospect, like everybody knows the plan. Everyone's just moving down the same path. Like everybody just feels better about it. And to your point, you're not guessing or going, oh yeah, what do we do next? Or I did this last time, but I think this will make more sense this time. And then you end up with all these like fragmented prospects in your pipeline and in limbo land and yeah. Not, not a good yeah. thing. So, so let's sure. get back to you know moving moving through the steps here. We've kind of talked about the research pre-qual. We go through the first meeting, we're sending our recaps, we're sending our agendas. We get into that second meeting. Where are we headed next?
1: Yeah. And let's assume that like our second meeting is like an in-person meeting, which I know is sure. a very common thing in our industry. It's a very personal thing, right? We're working in someone's home. We're not working on a project. We're working in their home. There's another little sales subtlety for everybody here is to speak about it as a home always. Don't talk about it as a project. Don't talk about it as a house, a site. Talk always about it in your home. That's that kind of personal connection it really helps you stay connected to your client. So little subtlety there. But imagine that we're going to someone's home and you know, we walk up to the door. First and foremost, what do they say? Five minutes early is on time. On time is late, and late is unacceptable. Right. So yes. it doesn't mean you have to knock on the door five minutes early, but it means you have to be there five minutes early. If it's a really hot summer day <laughs> and the place is maybe only a mile or two down the road, you're like, I'm going to bike there. And you show up and you're soaked <laughs> kind of thing. You know, like you just got to think about all these little things and prepare properly for this meeting because as soon as they open up that door, that's when your four to seven seconds begins, right? That ticker, that stopwatch starts. And before you know it, it's over kind of thing. And that first impression is going to set the stage for not only that entire meeting, but really the potential, you know, closing of that deal. And it sucks because, you know, I wish I could give everybody an insight here to tell them, you know, you can lengthen that time frame, but this is something that's pre-programmed in our minds. So we have to think about all the different things. If you've been running around all day, you haven't eaten lunch, you know, you're feeling a little bit irritable, you're really tired you know, et cetera, et cetera, and you get there is what kind of emotional presentation are you going to give somebody? What kind of impression are you going to give somebody when they open up that door? So always consider, much like the airplane analogy, I always come back to it. You have to take care of yourself. Make sure that you guard some time for lunch and you go and you eat. Make sure you've drank water. Make sure you haven't had 25 coffees and you're, you know, you're sitting at the table and your legs just jittering and you can't stop it. Because I think I've all, we've all been here, right, folks? Yeah, I mean,
0: cut, cut yourself <laughs> off at 15, guys. Let's yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: You don't need that 21st and 24th cup for sure. So, but ultimately it's about taking care of yourself so you can make the best impression. And Kind of like we talked about is drop your emotional baggage at the door and just kind of take that deep breath, recenter yourself. And be the person that you need to be for that person that's opening the doors is a really, really critical aspect of it.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. You know, I feel like we've just gotten used to in the service industry or anybody that's coming into your home, like people are late or they, you know, give you a window of time, you know. And so these types of things that you're suggesting feel like they really separate yourself as a profession, you know, professional company. And I know that's going to tee us up for some things we're going to talk about soon coming up in the mini series, but. And that just positions you so much stronger as you walk totally. into the home. so once you Absolutely. once you get in the door, now we're sitting down. We're having this first in-person meeting. What are we going to talk about here? Yeah, for sure. And so I would say, I would say,
1: number one, we want to obviously have an ability or an agenda, a framework to walk people through. But before we actually get to the dining room table, and this is where, you know, fellows like, Mike Stone and myself really vary in in sort of approach here. And as someone that's lived it for 20 plus years and done hundreds, if not into the thousands of sales calls, uh, here's what I can tell you. Everyone's favorite topic is themselves. If you are a modeling contractor, people just want to show you everything they hate about their house. If you ever want to (laughs) fill the space of silence, ask somebody about their house and what they don't like. The great thing about this is that there is a bit of a rush, like an emotional rush when you get to the door. Again, painting the picture here, you're running around, your appointment's at 3 p.m. in the afternoon, you haven't eaten lunch, you're starting to get a little dizzy, et cetera, et cetera. You get to the front door. So we all visualize we're in that state. And then you're like, okay, recenter myself, drop that baggage. I'm going to go in and be the person I need to be. You still got this pent-up emotion. But the reality is, is that the person who opened the door feels very similar. You are a stranger to them n- virtually. And ultimately they are letting you into their home and they're gonna be sharing personal things with you, right? Personal details that you're in their home, et cetera, et cetera. And this is where I think there's a bit hopefully an aha moment for a lot of people is that just recognizing that other people are pretty nervous about this as well when they walk in. I, I coach a lot of people in the sales realm and people always say to me, like, I'm so nervous when I get in, I don't know what to say, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, look, you just have to like imagine there's a mirror in front of that client now. They feel actually fairly the same way. And so you want to be able to guide this conversation and the process of the meeting or the agenda of the meeting, but you want to give the illusion of control to that homeowner. And the way that you do this is by asking them, first of all, stating the agenda and saying, so what we'd like to do is typically, now I always like to walk around the house first personally, and then we would sit down and I'd love to walk you through our process. And that's how I would introduce it it was always well-received because everyone's favorite topic is themselves and everything they hate about their house. And so, (laughs) you know, it always works well. The trick here is I hear a lot of you right now, you got a mind goblin there that's banging on the front of your head saying, yeah, but Brian, I don't want to waste 45 minutes to an hour listening, you know, about this corner of this bathroom that just irritates somebody. So I totally hear you. You have to be able to guide that conversation and move people through the house. Okay. So, It's important that you let them, you know, basically kind of walk through, but you can do, you can just transition to different topics. This is a great little tactic that you can use is you're standing in say the master bathroom and they're talking about all the things that they don't like. that's great. Now, why don't you show me downstairs What's what kind of doesn't work here? And boom, you've, you've you're, it's not that you're not paying attention to where they are, but you're just suggesting a complete change in course and people will respond to that. So you've got to keep that momentum going. Always you know, imagine that road that you're coming back to, that homing beacon. The nice thing about this, and I don't want to paint the picture that we are like canines, so bear with me, people. But when you take your dog for a walk, your dog stops and sniffs and they pee on that fire hydrant, and then they go and sniff a little bit more. And then they might go and do some other business on the grass over there, and they keep sniffing and stuff like that. It's called decompression. And that is really the sort of behavioral science behind what your you, the dog actions, what your dogs are doing on a walk. We're no different as people. We need a bit of a decompression, right? It's like we talk about with The resistance walls that people have, bioresistance, lowers as they get more and more comfortable with you because it's decompressing, right? So just use this analogy of decompressing. And that's what happens when you walk through someone's house, right? Because you're letting them speak. And most importantly, you're capturing and then going to regurgitate everything they say to let them know that you heard what they said. And that is how, A, you establish relationship and deepen it, which is really one of the main goals of this meeting. and two. It's how you keep this, you know, all these emotions in check, how you decompress both sides of the emotions, because really, we want to get to the internal drivers, right? We want to get to that point where the facade is gone. And now we're talking on a level where there's meaningful relationship, and we can actually advance this through our pipeline.
0: Yeah, yeah, I really like that. And I, I feel like your point is a good one, like walking them through the home, and just getting used to moving them along. Cause you'll get people that will naturally just kind of point everything out and move quickly, but then you'll get the talkers and they're just going to go on and on and on, you know, for 10 minutes about one little detail. And so, <laughs> but you'll, you'll get used to that and you'll just say, great. Like, I totally see what you're saying here. Like what else, what else? And you kind of just keep pushing them, but it, it sounds like, you know, what you're doing here is one, you're letting them talk, which is great. But you're also uncovering the pain, which is yeah. a lot of times how people will make decisions as they're trying to solve a pain. So as you move through those pieces, then you said you want to do that and then you like to go sit down. So once you go sit down, how do you transition you know, to that piece? And then what are you trying to do from there to the end of the meeting?
1: Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, as you were talking, I was just visualizing For some reason, I don't know why, but in Toronto here, we we do a lot of underpinning projects. So we lower foundations and we always end up. So here in Toronto, a lot of the, the basements are like between five and six feet of ceiling height. And they were really just a spot for the coal box and the fuse panel, like many, many moons ago when they were built and nothing else. And we always seem to end up in these like dark, dreary, dirty corners of someone's basement because we'd start at the top, kind of work our way down. And so a great little segue that I've used to kind of getting to this next part of the meeting was like, I was like, Hey, my neck's starting to hurt. And I'm not a particularly tall person, but you know, in some of these, you know, these basements, I'm literally like got my head turned to the side. I'm like, is anybody else's neck hurting? How about we go upstairs and maybe I could, you know, kind of walk you through our process and everyone kind of, it's like a little bit of like a, you know, an icebreaker, you know, further icebreaker and you get to kind of transition upstairs. And so then we all go upstairs and we sit down. What you do next is really going to depend on, I think a little bit of who you are as a person. You know, I've used like an iPad with a slide deck. I've used client resource book, which is something that, you know, I get all of my builders to create, which is basically kind of like a bit of a, you know, a one to five. What does our process look like? What does it mean to work with us? Kind of thing, who you should be, what we expect of you, et cetera, et cetera. So these are some of the topics that are in there. So maybe it's that that you're going to go through, or maybe you have more of like a presentation binder for a long time, you know, early in the early 2000s, you'd go to meet somebody and it was really like one of those black photography, like portfolios that you just kind of flip through with the actual shots, you know, like Mm -hmm. 35 millimeter color shots that are taped to each page in some sort of artistic fashion or lack of artistic fashion, I should say. And you're just kind of flipping through them and showing them, you know, work, obviously, The world's changed immensely all of that's on your website they've seen that before you meet them now it's an opportunity to really dig into the process help them understand what it's going to look like to work with you from where they're at right now in the journey and so i always recommend to have some visuals have like a timeline to show them where they already are this is kind of one of these subtle little things that you show them they've already completed some steps right and there's a lot of power in that right as we know first thing you do, if you've been following me on Instagram, like, you know, talk a lot about, you know, these little things that we can do, these little actions, like make your bed every morning, right? It's that little step that is basically a task done, and you move on to the next one. And so ultimately have a timeline so that you can see kind of where it is, but then kind of paint the picture of what it's going to look like. A lot of builders, I think, will jump into like, here's how I manage financials and here's how I do this. And here's some of the finished products. The truth is, there's nothing... I wouldn't say there's a right or wrong here. The overarching point I want to get across is that you always want to be focused on the future outcome when you're talking to a client as opposed to the individual features. And it's kind of this fine line that we have to walk constantly. I think the example I've probably given already, but I use all the time is, you know, we want to open up the main floor. We reference it in terms of like, you know, I want to see my kids when they're playing, so we're going to face the kitchen this way, as opposed to talking about this load-bearing wall that has to come out and me getting into the feature conversation about how we're going to actually achieve that. People don't really care about that. They want to know it's done right. Obviously, they don't collapse their house, but they really just are concerned about the future outcome. So trying to think about it again in that client lens, help them understand what it is to work with you, and then really just help to support their vision. That's one of the steps in the sales process I really hammer in is that you know, true connection comes from when people feel supported. And they've obviously shared some of those internal drivers as you've walked around the house. And this is why I like to do that first, because then I can reiterate, like I said, a moment ago, I'm going to regurgitate a bunch of stuff that they said, I'm going to use the same words, I'm going to use mm-hmm. the same phrases, I'm going to connect it to our process, and what it looks like to work together and really form kind of this partnership as we go through the process.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I like, I really, the one piece that stood out there to me was that you show them where they're at in the process and showing that they've already advanced through, you know, that first call that, that you've already talked about the things that they don't like in their home, you know, and they're already, you know, to this like step three or, you know, however you want to frame it. But yeah, I think as humans, we all have a natural like tendency to just want to move forward in steps or see, you know, that progress bar or, you know, whatever it is. So, I really like that. I think it's subtle, but super powerful. So now you're kind of sitting in, you know, in the living room, at the dining room table, whatever it is, you've gone through, you've got your visuals, you've gone through some of that. Now, where are we trying to go, like, as we kind of wrap this meeting and and move on to the next phase or next step here?
1: Yeah. So the most important thing is, and exactly what you're driving at, is we need to have an ask, right? There needs to be an ask in our meeting. And That is kind of that micro-commitment. and Oftentimes, it's going to be at this stage, the introduction of a preliminary agreement, pre-construction agreement, design agreement, an estimate agreement, cost analysis agreement, lots of different terms here. The general idea, and this is what we're really going to dig into in our next episode, which I'm really Also really excited about because it's one of the things that I'm, you know, along with other, you know, people in the industry that are doing what I'm doing is really trying to change the industry for better is to not estimate for free. And that's really the goal here is we're trying to basically get people engaged with us. We're trying to get them to take a step. They've taken a few steps already. We've shown them where they are on the timeline. And now we introduce this process that we have. This is how we're actually going to get you to the golden road, right? Or to the golden outcome that you're looking for. We do this by this preliminary agreement. That whole chunk is obviously something we're going to talk about in the next episode, but the real goal here is it's kind of like this litmus test, right? They're either going to, at this point, feel like they can trust you, they know you well enough, et cetera, et cetera. Don't forget, a lot of people, well we've talked about this, a lot of people will have been following you for a while. In this day and age of social media, if they're thinking about a remodeling project or a custom home building project they're thinking about you and they're thinking about the process for a long time. So they've probably found you already on social profiles and they're probably following you and watching. And you don't know this because (laughs) they haven't said anything. They haven't raised their hand yet, but chances are they know you better than you think that they know you. And so just know at this point, it's okay for you to basically introduce this. This is where the confidence piece is gonna come in really crucial. And this is why having this process and not winging it every time is so critical because you will find yourself Feeling like it's so easy to cave, people might say, Well, we have really fully developed plans, and we have two other builders that have already given us a price, right? I mean, as I say that, there's you know, raise your hand, keep one hand on the steering wheel, (laughs) raise your hand if that's (laughs) happened to you more times than you can count on all your digits. I mean, it has for me, and I would say I totally respect that and, and understand that. Here's what I'll tell you you know, is that it's rarely an apples to apples comparison, even though you have drawings to a certain sort of level of design. The truth is, there's just a long way to go until we fully understand that scope of work. And really, when we talk about estimating, we're solving a scope of work problem, not a numbers problem. And when you frame it like that for a client, and you're just, again, I'm keeping it a little bit big picture, like a little bit more future outcome, not getting into the weeds of it saying, well, how much did they quote for drywall? How much did they quote for frame? Oh, that's way off. You know, like I'm not getting into those conversations. I'm keeping it high level and helping to explain what our position is. My process for selling is really about just continuing to talk about the person that's in front of me as opposed to the others, right? Our other competitors that might have already spoken with our client or interacted with our client or prospective client, I don't really care about them, right? And I'm not going to draw comparisons to them. I'm not going to speak poorly about them. I'm not going to recommend someone does this or does that. If they ask me, should I get three estimates? I'd be like, that's entirely up to you. You have to be comfortable with whoever you work with. Like That's how I would speak about it. So mm-hmm. I'm standing beside it always. I'm never making direct reference to our competitors. I'm only speaking about the value proposition I'm putting in front of somebody and what's coming back to the beginning of this podcast, what's in it for me, right? Trying to answer that question from a client's perspective at every sort of juncture here.
0: Yeah, those are those are really powerful pieces there I think to close that meeting. And I like some of the language you're using. So, for everybody listening, I've hit the rewind and and go back, you know, 30 seconds, 60 seconds because you will hear that. People want to go out and they'll get multiple bids or estimates and other people are giving away that for free and this just elevates you, you know, right up. And so I love that. And you're not saying don't do something that maybe is going to make them feel more comfortable, which is talking to three people. If that makes them feel comfortable, great. You're going to be the one that's different by going through this different process. So really love that. So Brian, I know we're going to do a deep dive into the the next phase, which you talk about you know, that pre-construction or design agreement. You rattled off maybe a dozen different names for it. So uh, we'll pick one or two next time. But I guess as we think about this process that we've gone through today, kind of from that initial lead coming in and their framing and the research and on through these first couple of meetings, anything that we missed or just like big takeaways that you want people to come away from this episode with? Yeah, and I think there's a lot. I mean,
1: we we, we talked about yeah. a lot of different things here. And this is, this is I hard know, to gonna do. I'm going to force
0: you to pick just a couple of yeah. big ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's hard to do in, in in one podcast, to be honest with you, because we've only really scratched the surface on the front part of our pipeline and that sales process. But I think ultimately, you know, we just have to know that we can't reinvent the wheel each time. When we talk about gaining confidence in our sales process, and let's be honest, in ourselves, this is where it comes from you know, having a framework that we can consistently go to, we we know what the next step is. There's a subtlety in how you'll start to speak, right? We've talked about this before. How you speak programs, how you think. And when you start changing words from if to when kind of thing in just in your daily life, not if I sell this contract, when I sell this contract, or if I can get to three million in gross revenue, I'll be whatever when I get to $3 million in revenue, I'll be doing this kind of thing. Just simple framing. It goes a long way. So when we speak to a client and we talk about our process, almost like in the past tense, like we're almost like, you know, when you get to this or or maybe future tense, whatever it is. Basically the idea of just helping them understand that as they get through this, this is how they're going to feel and this, that, and whatever. You're programming yourself as well to convince yourself of this process. And so the big thing is, is like, Come back to Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant. Just imagine those guys' faces in your head. Those guys are, were, like, arguably the two best basketball players of all time. Which I might get some slack for saying that,
0: but you might. You <laughs> never know. We'll check the <laughs> IG comments after this episode <laughs> drops. <laughs> we'll but see where you know, those, people's loyalties lie, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, those
1: guys. They, the greatness came from getting the reps in, and so you know, do everything you can to consistently, like, work on this process. But just keep going through it and get the reps in and get the reps in and get the reps in. Eventually, I'm telling you, you may not agree with charging for estimates as you're listening to this podcast. Hopefully, I'm starting to turn the tide and the goal is in our next episode, I'm going to fully turn you and convert you. But ultimately, it's just going to come from saying those words to somebody, internalizing their body language and their reactions, and listening to all the objections and just getting better at helping continually frame the benefit for them. And just programming your mind over and over and over again.
0: Yeah, I love it. Well, and and yeah, we'll we'll do a deep dive into uh, the paid section, paid uh, agreements, and uh, hopefully you will, you know, turn everybody, you know, to the to the dark side, but it's really <laughs> the good the good side. Uh, you got it. <laughs> so no, this is awesome, and uh, hopefully everybody listening, you guys took numerous takeaways out of this. You know, we'll recap it in the show notes and everything. But I I know I had several takeaways myself and I feel like each section, there was little nuances, little details that you can implement that'll just elevate your process. Even if you're already doing some of these steps, like just making those tweaks, those optimizations will really help. So Brian, thanks so much. And for everybody listening, stay tuned. We'll see you back here uh, in episode five, where we're going to talk about getting paid, which is a good thing. Thanks, Brian. (laughs) Man, that was awesome. I hope you pulled out some great action items for improving your sales process. Now, here's a few things that stood out to me today. The first one was don't reinvent the wheel each time. You need a process. Number two, practice, practice, practice. Confidence comes from getting your reps in. And finally, let the client be the hero. All right, guys, that's all for episode four. We'll see you back here for episode five, where Brian will talk through how to get paid for estimates and how to improve your close rates. See you next time.